Welcome to the uh, KO Show, Episode 3, uh, brought to you by the 1970 Club. Uh, this is Mark Houston, along with my co-host, Kevion Nolan and Omar Payne. And gentlemen, welcome to the uh, third episode of our show. Yeah, appreciate it. How you Thanks, doing? Man. All right. I want to get started today. Uh, in our first segment, I want to talk about uh, last week's game, Friday's game, uh, against a non-Division One opponent, Johnston College or Johnston University. Uh, we talked last time about how you can't underestimate these non-Division One teams. You can't just come out and play down to a, a lower level for these games. Yet, uh, you know, candidly, uh, you started out and we're not playing well in the first half, 37-24, but it was clear you guys were not playing well, uh, mm-hmm. not paying attention to detail, as I'm sure you would have liked to, and as Coach Mincy would have liked to. So, uh, was there anything said at halftime? Did he need to say anything at halftime to get you guys sort of refocused and re-energized? Uh, no, at halftime, we kind of just, you know, locked in as a team, like before the coaches came in and all that, and really just, like, came upon ourselves to really go out there and make a conscious effort on really trying to lock in and, like, pick our energy level up and really lock into the scout, lock in at every detail and things like that. We kind of just had that own, like, team kind of little meeting, like lock in with each other, and, and we kind of picked it up. We It worked for sure. So you recognize you you were not performing at a, at, at a level you're accustomed to yeah, in the first half. Yeah, for sure. We kind of all knew, like, we kind of playing sluggish, kind of everything that we had talked about, about not coming out, playing down the competition. We were kind of feeding into that a little bit. So uh, we, we fixed that once we kind of all talked about it. And Omar, um, you were on, uh, coach decided to just dis- to to see how the first half went before really playing you, and decided in the second half to get you in the game. And obviously, you came in with a lot of energy. What did you What did you see in the first half that you felt you could come in and change? I mean, I just felt like just like what Kevin said. Like we we noticed what we were doing wrong, but it was just we just had the halftime for us all to come together and really talk about it. You know, before the coaches come in, but. I just felt like we just need to play a little bit faster. I felt like we was playing their speed instead of our speed. Yeah, and and that was that was clear in the second half. One of the things that that I noted is uh, the ability to push the ball up the court, and and part of that I think had to do with uh, uh, bringing J- Jalen Nesmith, Nesmith played uh, up the point quite a bit in the second half, and seemed to be pushing the ball up the court. Sure. And also noticed uh, something that I'm sure you guys pride yourself on is the ability to move the ball fast up the court without the dribble. For sure. uh, several times uh, and uh, there were there were plays where very little dribbling involved. It was just pass, 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 mm-hmm. and a dunk for Omar, or a three for Kevion, or a three for somebody else, or a drive, wide-open drive for Giassi Powell. Mm-hmm. So is that something you, you that you've been focusing in on practice to really move the ball up the court when yeah. the opportunity presents? Uh, really just finding another way to, like, control the pace, fix the place of the game. Like, we still kind of have our, you know, control, set pace. But in certain lineups with uh, the weapons we kind of have this year, like, we're able to give more guys room and area to play faster, to be able to give other guys opportunities to create in space and just kind of pick the whole pace up. So um, we're deep enough to do that, and that's why we're kind of doing that switch. And Omar, do you enjoy the uh, the pace being a little upbeat, where you're able to run the floor? Uh, definitely, I feel like that's one of my strongest part of my game, just using my athleticism to get to the rim. So it definitely helped me in uh, this game. Um, guys, uh, you got another game coming up, and we'll talk about that in a second. Another non D one game coming up uh, this Sunday. 
But uh, November is an interesting time in college basketball, uh, at least from my observation and probably from you guys. A lot of early season upsets mm-hmm. uh, for one reason or another. A lot of uh, mid, so-called mid-majors or low-majors come in and beat teams that have sometimes paid them to show up. Yeah. And uh, we've got a lot of uh, examples in the A-Sun right now. Stetson's got two big wins, mm-hmm. uh, Florida State and South Florida. Uh, Florida Gulf Coast had a big win at Southern Cal. Uh, Bellarmine beat Louisville. Of course, everybody's beating Louisville by one point, seems like, uh, these days. Uh, Lipscomb beat their cross-city rival, Belmont. And Queens College beat Marshall, which for them in their first D1 game, that's a big, big win. What do you think there is about the early season that contributes to even more of these upsets than than we normally see during the regular part of the season? Um, just because I feel like the beginning in November, um, that's the first time you're really playing against anybody else. Like no matter how, like what you're in a power five or whatever, like you know, like you only get but two outside scrimmages before you can play against somebody else. So um, every like most teams are going to be the most connected teams are going to win early in the season just because everybody's building chemistry. So not mean like when it comes down to upsets, it's not saying that those big programs are, you know, necessarily bad or anything like that, but they just may not be clicking. So in November that like that exposes that, you know, kind of right away of who's connected, who's not connected. So I really just feel like that's the, the biggest thing. And and um, the teams in the A Sun, uh, I I assume you guys are 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 proud that you get that your your uh, league's getting some big wins. I'm sure you would like to be to get one of those big wins as well. Is that yeah. is that when you see other teams pulling those upsets, does it inspire you to feel like when we get our chance, we, we're gonna we're gonna want to compete and, and beat some of these teams as well? Yeah, for sure. We we'll kind of view it that way, whether they want or not, for sure. But it just kind of speaks volume on. How far like the ace line has come as far as like the league is being better and better each year. Just each year you see a new new teams coming in and, and teams like letting us know that you know mid major teams are able to compete with those high major programs. And uh, Omar uh, switching from the ace sun, it wasn't an ace sun team that came in and and beat uh, uh, University of Florida Gators, but it was mm-hmm. Florida Atlantic with an old uh, Gator coach Dusty May. Yeah. Uh, so is that to, from your observation, is it a tough time for the the high majors like Florida to to play some of these smaller schools uh, mm-hmm. in, early in the season? I just feel like well, most of the case said it was spot on, but that too, and then you know, new the transfer portal. So you know, Florida got a lot and a lot of new pieces that they still got to gel in. And then Florida Atlantic, it probably got guys that have been playing together two to three years. So you're going against experience, and then guys trying to gel, and everybody like got to figure out their role. And that was a that was a huge upset. And there's, there were several others that were close. North Carolina almost got upset by Gardner Webb. Um, and we know about uh, you, you guys scrimmaged against uh, College of Charleston uh, before the season started, and they were beating North Carolina pretty good in the first half of their game. So, it, I think what you're saying and what we've observed is there are factors that make these games uh, make upsets quite quite likely in the uh, early season. Um, so we'll come back and uh, well before we come back, I actually want to talk to you about the upcoming game, Voorhees College. You have any familiarity with Voorhees College at this point? Uh, no, we don't have any you know knowledge of them right now. Once we start, like for sure, starting tomorrow and going into the game, we'll game plan. You know, figure out what's the 
what the players look like, what we need to do as far as when the scout comes out. Whereas right now, we just know it's another game, 91, kind of have the same mindset as uh, we did in the second half. Yeah. Basically for this whole game, just really come out and prepare for the you know upcoming games that we have. But this, but this time, carry that attitude out from the from the very tip off, and not not have to adjust at halftime. I right. assume. Right. Well, we'll come back shortly uh, with segment two, and we'll talk about some topics that are really pertinent in uh, in college basketball these days, including the transfer portal. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Ko Show. Um, we are now going to switch gears a little bit and talk about. Uh, some big changes and issues in college basketball. And the one that I want to focus on first is is the transfer portal. And both of you guys uh, have familiarity with the transfer portal. Uh, both have utilized the transfer portal during your career. And uh, I want to talk to you guys about how whether you think it's a good thing and whether uh, how you would like to see the transfer portal utilized in the future. Do you think uh, guys should be able to transfer as many times as they want to without ever having to sit out? Or how do you feel about uh, where the transfer portal is now and where it should go in the future? Kevion? Um, I feel like, uh, me, honestly, like I know a lot of people have differences about what they think about the transfer portal. But me, personally, I feel like the transfer portal is a good thing. Just because, like from my experiences, just because like you never know what somebody's situation is at another school, whether it's what their coach and stuff. Like, it's so much stuff that go on behind the scenes. And, you know, like, players get – players kind of get, you know, talked about just because it's like, oh, you leaving this school, you giving up on it. But nobody knows, like, just from being in there, being a player, like I, me being young as a freshman, I had a group of people transfer out and – you know, like I'm not going to talk about anything that went on, but like it was like a lot of a lot of things went on for different certain players. So I feel like it's a way to find a situation for you, and I feel like you should be able to play right away. Like I feel like it kind of also prepares you for, you know, when like once you get out of college and become a professional, like that's kind of the same kind of cutthroat business as far as like you being able to get be traded here or you go here. So being able to adjust to new systems and new programs and all that thing. So I really, me personally, I feel like the transfer is a transfer portal is a good thing and they should keep it and allow players to play right away. Well, you have uh, sort of a unique perspective on this because when you transferred, uh, the rules did not allow one free transfer, no questions asked, right. don't have to sit out. You did sit out at JU. Mm-hmm. And I think you've actually said, though, that you took that as an opportunity to – Improve your academics uh, and get a, you know really watch the game and mature. So it, it did work for you, but you don't think that that players should have to go through what you went through when you transfer from Sanford to uh, JU. Yeah, I feel like it should be a choice. I feel like they should have a choice on if they want to sit out a whole year or if they want to play right away. And I feel like they should have a choice on being able to travel with the team or not be able to travel if they want to sit out, just because. The sit-out year was good for me. Like, me playing right away, coming into that system, I don't know how good I would have been. But me being able to sit out, work on my body, be able to work on my game, be able to kind of see, because I went from not really playing that many minutes to when I transferred to JU, I'm a guy that plays a lot. So being able to have that sit-out year behind my belt, I really learned a lot. Like, it was tough just sitting out because – 
I mean, you don't get to play games. All you're doing is practice. So it kind of come become routine. But at the end of the day, it kind of like I look back on it and it's like I don't think I'd be the same player without it just because I was a spot shooter coming in. Right. And now I'm able to, you know, create off the bounce, kind of read ball screens. Like, so it was big for me. And uh, you sat out that, that year and it benefited you. And you just mentioned something interesting that you thought you think it should be an option for a player and a team that that player should be able to sit out, preserve another year of eligibility or play right away. But do you think there's many players that are going with, if that it would follow your lead and say, you know what, I want to transfer to this program, but I want to sit out a year. Or is that just against the nature of, of college basketball players to want to sit out a year if they don't, if they're not required to? Um, <laughs> I don't know. Cause people now are just going to want to, you know, not play. So it kind of just what the whatever the relationship or the conversations that player has with that coaching staff as far as if if it's the right fit to play right away or is it better like okay if you sit this year you know we may have guys in front of you if you come in you know learn the system and things like that if y'all have that conversation then you feel, I feel like it still should be just the player's choice on whatever you're getting from the conversations with the coaching staff as far as you feel I feel like the players should just have control on on whether they want to play or not. Kevion, I mean, Kevion, Omar, you, uh, you've transferred twice. The first time was, was the one free transfer that you could, you could, uh, enjoy, mm-hmm. um, to Illinois. Yes. That rule was passed. And then more recently, the transfer from Illinois to Jacksonville. Uh, and you've been able, yeah, with, with a waiver to be immediately eligible at JU. Do you feel you sh- that players should be able to transfer as many times as they want, or uh, how, what, how would you how would you uh, feel the rule should best be laid out? I mean, Kevin, he brought up two good points, but uh, yeah, I feel like you could have a little bit of uh, transfers because at the end of the day, like it's really situational. Like, how's your situation going? What's the best situation for you? Mm-hmm. And then you know, coming in too, like you got to learn a whole new system and stuff like that. So. I like how you brought up if you want to sit out or not because, like, they think it's like every team is different. So some teams, they run a lot of plays. If you know it's the play-oriented team, then you got to learn a lot of plays and learn the system. So, like, the sit out might help you too. So we've got uh, a similar viewpoint. Obviously, the player's perspective is you want as much freedom to leave a situation that may be uncomfortable for you. Uh, you may not be getting playing time that you think you deserve. Uh, you may not get along with the coach for one reason or the other. Uh, there's, there's a myriad of reasons you may want to leave a, 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 a one university and transfer to another. Yeah, but I don't think like uh, – like I'm not saying that if, if you get a, a little situation that you should leave the school right away. Like I said, everything you should see it th- through, like definitely talk to your people and see if it's the best situation for you to leave. But right. if it's for you, if it's good for you to stay, then I think you should stay too. Okay, so that's the player's perspective, and I, and I certainly respect and appreciate your perspectives on that. Um, from a college basketball standpoint, just looking at college basketball last year, about uh, seventeen hundred and sixty-eight players transferred D one from mm-hmm. D one schools to other D one schools, or some transferred down. Um, do you have a problem with with? Four or five players from, on average from each team leaving to go to other schools. Does that bother you at all? And will that would that bother you? Let's say next year, uh, if you lost a lot of transfers, would you? If you put together a, a, a cohesive, good team, would you? Would it bother it, you to see guys leaving? 
it hurt, you know what I'm saying, because you have relationships with each player. Like, even we had, we experienced a lot of people last year, so you have relationships with people that you have on the team. But at the end of the day, it's kind of like, it'll bother us, but it's not my decision. Like, you have to respect that person's decision. You don't know what they're going through mentally. You don't know what's going on with their, like, their family. You don't know what it is. So at the end of the day, you kind of just got to, you know, I wish he was here, but you got to respect where they're coming from and just kind of really wish them the best. I feel like it's kind of gotten a norm for our generation just because our generation has really just, you know, really been in the portal a lot. So it's kind of normal to see, like, okay, you may have three or four teammates transferred, but it's kind of what it is. So take us, Kevion, through your personal, if you would, your personal decision-making process after having a tremendous year, first-team all-conference last year uh, in the A-Sun with another year of eligibility. What was your thinking that led you to conclude that you would come back another year at your final year at JU? Um, it was a lot really went into it, but I felt like JU was one of the, the places that, you know, like I had one of my best years of basketball at JU, so I didn't really want to just up and leave it just because they every just everything I did, like created here, with like the relationships I had with my teammates, the relationships I had with the coaching staff, everything was kind of kind of good so I didn't want to just you know we have our problems too but going into a whole nother situation and leaving something that I know you know where I felt like I kind of was a big piece of a building uh, like you know helping Coach Mincy start the program and things like that I had a great year so I just really wanted to build from it we lost in the championship so you know talking to a lot of the guys like returners they like that influenced me a lot too. Like Osal Cifo coming back, Mike right. Marsh coming back, like Jordan Davis coming back. Like once, once we kind of decided, like you know, like we kind of got something to prove. We we lost in the championship game, so that eats us up. And being able to return and kind of go back on that journey to get back to the goal that we had set, uh, kind of made that decision kind of easy for me. No more. I know it's easy. Or it's it's early in the season, uh, but. Talk a little bit about what Kevin's talking about, that that continuity of wanting to finish your career and not going to a new situation. So uh, obviously this is your first year at JU. You would have another year of eligibility. Mm. Do you feel like that what Kevin's saying makes some sense to you, that, that you'd like to um, be able to finish your career at JU? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um... I mean, you could be, play a lot of factors into that, but uh, yeah, if this another team come back looking the same, yeah, definitely could finish my career at JU. But depending on how the season goes, that really decides the major factor. Right. All right, guys. So we'll uh, we will uh, come back with segment three, and we'll be joined by uh, JU center Mike Marsh, uh, and in segment three, and we'll talk to Mike about uh, his journey to JU and some of his uh, his thoughts and observations on. Uh, this basketball team. Back with uh, segment three of the KO show, and we're joined by our special guest uh, for this show, Mike Marsh, junior uh, center at JU, currently averaging 17 a game for the first two uh, games of the season. Uh, Mike, uh, welcome to the uh, KO show. Yes, sir. How are you? We're good. We're good. Tell us about how uh, you found your way to Jacksonville University. Uh, beginning with your high school career, your junior college career, and then your decision to come to JU? Uh, um, my high school career, I actually only played my 11th and 12th grade year because I got hurt in 9th and 10th. 
Um, but uh, yeah, um, I actually failed my SAT test and my ACT, so that's why I ended up having to go JUGO. So I kind of looked at it as a motivation and just like uh, everything just happened for like a reason. So I ended up going to uh, Dodge City, you know, um, I had a pretty sh- good season there. And, um, you know, I ended up uh, got recruited by Coach Deloach. Uh, I had a relationship with him for about 10 years now. Uh, I've been knowing him since the sixth grade. And, you know, uh, when he told me that he was coming to JU, you know, I was just like, you know, maybe that's a good opportunity for me. I already know him as a uh, on and off the court. So, you know. And and that was uh, up in South Carolina. Yes, sir. And you 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 grew up in the Columbia, South Carolina area? Uh, yes, sir. All right. How much did you average in uh, high school? Uh, I averaged 12 points and like seven rebounds in high school. What was your uh, career high in high school? Uh, my career high in high school was like 25 in the state championship game. Mm-hmm. Okay. You won? Yeah. Oh, so you got a ring. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So, um, Mike, um, let's talk a little bit about your development. And part of your development as a player has to do with you getting yourself in really good shape. So you were a little... Uh, as they say, overweight, a little, little heavy. Uh, was that true in high school? Uh, yes, sir. I was like 310 pounds in high school. Yes, and, sir. And how did you, get, how did you get to 310? Were you eating uh, a lot of burgers or what was that all nah, about? Um, I had got surgery on, uh, my tibia. I had broke my tibia and I just kind of lost focus in, you know, like what was the game plan inside my life. And then, you know, I ended up touring my meniscus, you know, when I got back from uh, my other in- injury. And I just wasn't locked in at all. And I just gained a lot of weight and stuff. And how did you uh, go about getting yourself in good shape? First losing the weight and then just getting yourself in better physical condition. Um, It all started during quarantine. You know, quarantine, I seen a lot of guys, that they, uh, they didn't have access to the gym. You know, it was kind of hard for a lot of people and stuff like that. So, you know. I was looking at it, at it like I'm not going to be behind, you know, whenever it's time to, you know, get back out there on the floor. So I just use that time as, you know, just to get my body in shape, you know, drinking gallons of water daily and just working hard, honestly. Yeah. And you've even uh, improved your condition from last season, I've noticed. It, it's not that you're a lot lighter, but you just look like you're trimmer and quicker. Do you feel that way on the court? Uh, Yes, sir, I do. Um, so anybody who's been to the JU games last year saw a big turnout of uh, of Mike Marsh fans. I assume they came from South Carolina. Who are those folks that are showing up every game at home? Um, those are my mom, my uncle, my auntie, my auntie, I mean my other auntie, and my uh, brothers and sisters. And uh, is that going to continue this year? Uh, yes, sir. Uh, they actually attended the Duke game, too. So yeah. it was a good experience for them to uh, be there. Yeah, that must be a lot of fun to see all those familiar faces on the yes, sidelines. Yes, sir. Um, so tell me um, about what areas you feel you can improve on, uh, what areas you have improved on during your career at JU, and what still remains to be areas you can still improve. Um, I feel like that uh, I have been better on ball string defense. Um, I honestly feel like that uh, I have been better on, you know, trying to knock down the 15-footer. You know, a little, a little bit. But uh, things that I can work on is uh, how can I affect the game if I'm not scoring? Uh, I could be a better leader for for my team. Um, and, you know, yeah, things like that. Okay. And uh, Voorhees College, next game coming up. 
they're from the South Carolina area as well. Are you familiar at all with them? Uh, I know like two of the guys there. That's all, you know. Um, they're a good scrappy team, so, you know, I'd be looking forward to play against a team like that. Okay. Well, Mike, we really appreciate what you've done so far for helping this team. Uh, last year, you're a big factor. Um, and this year, a terrific start, 17 a game, uh, really playing good offense for this team and, and helping them uh, be effective on that end of the court particularly. So congratulations on what you've done be, uh, up until this point, and good luck for the rest of the season. Yes, sir. Thank you.